I don't know about you, but this series has just been really exactly where I am. Um, I, I'm starting to work on a theory that whatever I speak about tends to be where I end up, which is quite terrifying, which is also why next month the June series is on going to be on how to grow really large muscles, a large bank account, and long flowing hair from your head. I'll go ahead and announce that series next month because whatever we're talking about, I'm dealing with. And um, even this week, I came across, I think, a beautiful picture of uh, just life in general. Uh, the word distraction, right? It's a uh, I like words. I like to know where words come from. And the word distraction in Latin is its origin, and it means to literally be pulled apart. Uh, the French actually, I think, had a really beautiful picture of this, as morbid as it is about to sound. Um, they called the uh, process of um, being drawn and quartered, where you'd be hooked up to four horses and literally yanked apart from four ends as a way of torture or punishment. Um, like that was what used to happen back then. Um, they called that being distracted, right? Which I think in some ways is quite fitting, right? Just there's moments in life where you feel like you're being pulled apart. That if you could somehow clone yourself and be in multiple places at once, maybe you could get a handle on it. But distracted is, I think, a great picture for life. That many of us live at a pace and in a place where constantly being pulled apart to the point that we live with fractured and scattered thoughts. I don't know about you, but in my household, I hear, did you hear me? A lot. Because my mind is somewhere else. Or, Daddy? Daddy? And I'm like, oh, back to earth. Because I was somewhere else. The scattered, fractured thoughts, distracted thoughts. And it's not just in my life. I see it reflected in even the subtle things of my life. I don't know about you, but I can, some, I can sit down sometimes thinking, oh, I have 30 minutes. I'm going to watch something. And I turn on Netflix, and I will spend 30 minutes searching for something on Netflix to watch. Has anybody else ever had that problem? Like, Jenny always, she'll walk, she'll walk by, and I'm still there like, she's like, you're still looking for something to watch? Like, that's not normal. But that's life. That there's so much in our lives that what happens is we start to reflect this subtle principle that more can lead to less. That having more in our life actually can lead to less of our life. Because it's so fractured and scattered and distracted. Uh, even some studies that have come out recently, I think, point to this, that to today's generation um, are, like if you were to compare most of our upbringing and how much time we have with our parents versus today's generation and the time that they have with their parents, two studies have come out essentially saying the exact same thing in different ways, that children today um, deal with parents who work a combined eight more, out, eight more weeks a year versus what they did in 1979 in, in a way that makes it a little bit more clear that parents spend 22 fewer hours a week with their children than they did in the 60s and 70s. You do the math. You process through that. Like that's, you can see how that happens just in the pace of life and the frantic and the just never stopping that we spend less time in the areas that matter the most. That what we experienced growing up, the, the equivalent is as if our parents had decided to start working eight more weeks a year. That's the average American kid's experience today, is that that's the, the pace and speed of life of most Americans. 
And what it leads to is this fractured, scattered, the things that come into our life that meant to make a difference. Take the vacuum cleaner, for example. Invented in the early 1900s, the vacuum cleaner was designed to make that once a year spring cleaning more effective. Do you know the, the phrase spring cleaning came from an idea that you used to clean once, and it was in spring. And the vacuum cleaner was invented to make that one time a year even better. But what happened when the vacuum cleaner came? We started cleaning more. That more brought less. Well, email. Oh, this will be great. It's going to revolutionize communication because it'll be so much more faster. You won't have to wait for a letter to be mailed or a telegraph to be sent. It'll be quicker. It'll make us more effective. And what happens is that many of us, if we were to do the math, realize that a, a huge portion of our job is just managing emails. But it was supposed to make more available, but what we get is less. That it's smartphones, which don't make us feel very smarter. To me, they should be called overwhelmed phones or all the things that I'm not doing well in phones because that's what tends to reminder is the reminders build up of things that I need to do and emails pressed in of things that I need to do. And, and no one's in my smartphone screaming at me, stay smart through the process, right? Because more can lead to less. And uh, what's interesting is even two, in the last two weeks, France is currently working through a proposed law that they think will fix the email problem. They're gonna, they want to make it illegal to send an email after someone's work hours. And they think that that's going to fix it. They're like, we, we want to charge a significant fine to organizations that email their employees after the work day. And that they have to wait till work hours to email. And obviously, some people in France are like, that's the worst idea ever. But the heart behind it is that the, even the government of France recognizes that there is a problem, that we don't have margin. But we don't legislate ourselves into better places when it comes to margin. That the way we get to a better place with margin is that we have to start to reclaim its importance. Over the last few weeks, I've talked a lot about the how. I've talked about the pace leads to peace. I've talked about sustainability, not the speed matters the most, that it's our, how we schedule and engage our emotional margin really can have a huge impact on our life, and that the how of seasons having impact with margin, that the season of life has an impact and an influence of what margin looks like in every season. That there's been a lot of hows, and if you've missed any of the messages, they're all on um, the Encounter Church app. You can click on podcast or media. Um, I finally had some margin where I uploaded them all and got them to work correctly. Um, but they're all there for you, and you can process the how, but the answer is not in the how. The answer is in the cell of the why. That why margin matters is the thing that we need if we're going to create breathing room in our life, that it goes way beyond and just the how to exchange the pieces of our life for peace in our life, that it goes down to the very heart of what margin produces in our life. And the story that I want to kind of jump out of is a story that maybe even if you didn't grow up in church, you're probably familiar with it. It's one of Jesus's most famous stories um, potentially ever told. There's a few others that may trump this one, but this one is significant enough in that its language has even crept into 
uh, laws that have been passed in America and around the world, and it's, it's almost a, a, an idiom for someone who does good. It's a, a euphemism for how to explain a situation where a surprising hero steps in and saves the day. That, but in, embedded in that story, I think, is a beautiful reminder of why margin matters. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a story that Jesus told when he was significantly into his ministry and starting to, growl, to gain the attention of crowds, but not just the, the crowds. He also started to gain the attention of critics. That when you gather a crowd, you always get critics intermingled. And what happened was there were people in the midst of that crowd who wanted to try to set them up for debate. And there was a debate that was being had in the midst of um, this guy and Jesus, this uh, really kind of PhD of his day, um, and Jesus. And Jesus, to answer his question, um, Jesus tells a story. And the story is the Good Samaritan story. So if you have the Encounter Church app, it's already kind of preloaded for you in the sermon notes or in the Bible section. I'm going to just focus primarily on the story because I believe by looking at that story, we can see why margin matters. And in the process of reclaiming the importance of margin, start to prioritize it in our own lives. That the story is told in the midst of a debate, but this idea of the backdrop is Jesus doesn't pluck the story of the Good Samaritan out of nowhere. The story of Good Samaritan is quite actually a, a literal headline of the day, that the area that Jesus tells this story about is something that people would have instantly recognized, and the story would have been instantly connectable, because it, it was something that they had all experienced or knew someone who had experienced. So in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, uh, you see this, this debate happen, and then Jesus says in verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when they saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, and he brought them to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, look after him. And when I return, I'll I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And that's the story of the Good Samaritan. It's, it's really brief. It's just six verses. But the context of the story, like I said, would have been very um, familiar to the original hearers. If you notice, it starts off, it says that the man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Um, that was a, about a 17-mile journey. If you were to travel to Israel today, it would take you about 15 to 20 miles. And even in the midst of driving it, you would still uh, experience a similar sentiment to what the first hearers would have heard. You see, that there's a reason Jesus says he was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, because Jericho is about 1,500 feet below Jerusalem. Jerusalem kind of sits atop a large hill, almost a mountain. Um, and, and so to go from Jerusalem to Jericho meant that you had to take a really steep, winding aggressive descent that over the course of 15 miles you would go 1,500 feet down. And carved in the midst of that path, um, because it's kind of snaking through mountains and hills, is holes in the wall that sunlight wouldn't have been able to crep into because you've got a lot of shadows. And what would happen typically is robbers would stay perched inside of a hole waiting for a passerby that typically this was a dangerous road, that you didn't travel this road by yourself because if you did, you became the headline for the day. 
another man attacked on the road to Jericho. And they would sit perched, and Jesus tells a story about exactly that, that here's a group of guys who are waiting, and here's this man, and they attack him. And they leave him half dead. He's, he's, he's barely clothed, and he's barely breathing. And then in the midst of that, Jesus starts to tell the story of some individuals. And the crowd hears that a priest is coming by, and they start to cheer because he's going to be saved. And the priest sees him and says no, and he passes on by. Literally, the priest steps to the other side of the road and keeps going. The Levite, which would have been another religious group, um, so the priests were in charge of the actual sacraments in the Jewish temple. The Levites would have been the employees that made sure the temple were running. It, it would be akin to a college today. The professor may be the one who teaches the class, but anyone around colleges know it's the administration that makes it happen. And the Levites were the administration. They were the ones who uh, allowed the temple to function and to effectively work. And, and so now the Levite, the, the little lower class, potentially in the eyes of the religious leaders. Oh, he's going to be the guy. And he sees him, and he steps to the other side of the road, too. And then this despicable word is said, Jesus says, then a Samaritan. And a Samaritan was what a Jew would have called a half-blood. There was a lot of animosity between Jews and Samaritans, because Samaritans um, have a pretty kind of rich history with a lot of intermarriage with other kind of tribes, and the Jewish people prided themselves on their, like, their ethnic purity. And so Samaritans weren't pure, and so because of that, they treated, they treated them horribly. I mean, like, despicably. They hated them. They wouldn't even walk through their land. They would take longer trips to avoid a Samaritan. There was a deep-seated hatred, and Jesus says that a Samaritan is walking down the same road. And he sees them, and he has pity. And you can actually even see the hatred when Jesus says, which one of these was the neighbor? The guy won't even say the Samaritan. He says the one who had mercy on him. Now, here's the thing. In the midst of that famous story that you've probably heard before or at least heard reference as you've driven by a hospital that was called the Good Samaritan Hospital, I think there's something going on underneath this story that has impact for us that reminds us why margin matters. You see, the... the the story of the Good Samaritan, I believe, is really about the importance of margin. Here's a guy, the Samaritan, who, as he's walking down the street, notices a man half dead and, and has the margin in his time to divert himself and his schedule to treat him. He has the margin in his emotion to have pity and empathy for him. He has the margin in his finances where it says that he bandages him. It wasn't, the Samaritan was not walking around with a first responder bag. Okay, I mean, he didn't have this first aid kit strapped in some fanny pack. What he did was he literally ripped his shirt into bandages. He poured his oil and his wine on his wounds because that would have been the modern version of Neosporin back then. I mean, he sacrifices his resources for this man. But all of this has happened, happening under the backdrop of margin. 
He has the physical margin to put him on the donkey and to make the treacherous walk by himself with the man resting on his donkey. And he has the margin of resources and time to take this man, not just to bandage him, but literally to take him to an inn and tell them, after paying them two denarii, which would have given that innkeeper enough money to keep that guy housed for at least a month, if not two. I mean, this guy, the Good Samaritan, puts down a significant chunk of money for this man to get well. And in the process of this story's backdrop about who's my neighbor, I think what we really found, what we really find happening is the power of margin. Because had the Samaritan been in a rush to get to his next appointment, we would not have had the parable of the Good Samaritan. We would have had an obituary. That's what we would have had. But instead of having an obituary that would have filled the Jerusalem newspaper of its day, what we have is a story about the power of margin. That one man who chose to add less to his life found that less can lead to more. But I think that's the power, this compelling reason behind margin that oftentimes we miss. That it's by adding less to our life that we actually find more. You see, the first two guys, because of a lack of margin, the first two guys see the man and wonder what will happen to them. It's all about them. Well, what if the robbers are still around? What happens if this? But the Good Samaritan sees the man and wonders what happens if I don't stop for him. And that's significantly different. All of us, if we were in this story, would have wanted the Samaritan to stop for us. And we're really fortunate. Like this... This man's life was transformed because another man had created margin in all the various aspects of his life. See, when we create space for breathing room, here's, here's what's beautiful. In all the discussion of margin, we talk about creating space for breathing room. What happens when we create space for breathing room is that our space becomes a place where other people can find their breath too. And that's actually the more powerful reason for creating margin. It's that relationships, lives can be transformed. A couple weeks ago, um, I kind of watched my wife, and she just does so much. And I was like, you know what? I want to surprise her on Mother's Day by sending her away, um, which meant for me that I was getting ready to enter into a very terrifying um, kind of moment of just me and Ella. Because I have to be honest, I don't always know what to do with her this morning. I walk out of the shower, and she had been watching Wonder Pets, which is another story all by itself. Um, and she's just, she's crying. And I'm like, oh my, are you choking? Um, what's wrong? Like, is, did something bite you? Are you bleeding out? And she won't talk to me. She's just, she, she just weeps. And I'm like, I mean, what happened? I was in the shower for like 17 minutes. Like, what happened? And it's that this little tiny character, his friends weren't, they, they weren't there for him. And she was so emotionally moved by what was happening on that little tiny screen with that little tiny animal that like she was emotionally wrecked. And I'm like, and I, I think this is a significant moment, but I don't know what to do with it. 
Like, these are like little fake, like animated animals. And my daughter's having a significant moment. And I know that, like, if my wife, if I send her out of town, that means that will be all on me. Because it's not like, you know, what's wrong? Well, this is what happened, and this is how I felt, and this is how I wish it could have been better. Great, let's do something about that. It's like, what happened? I don't, I don't. <laughs> Babe? Can, will you talk to me? I'm like, somebody do something to you? <laughs> like, what's wrong? I, I know it's all going to be on me, so I sent her away. Um, but here's the thing about my wife. Uh, it, it's actually a testament even in preschool. Uh, like you see, it's very organized in preschool. It's very well put together. It's very clean and sanitary. Um, it's because of my wife and the culture of the leaders that she has around her because um, I am a tornado Ella and I, actually, Jenny's, like, fear as she's leaving the, the place is like, um, please don't destroy our house while I'm gone. Because that's what I do. Like, what I call fun, she calls destruction. And I'm like, Ella, we're going to have so much fun. And in Jenny's mind, she actually thinks this is what she's going to come home to. Like, straight up. This is the picture I know that Jenny has in her mind. Like this, I'm going to walk into our apartment, and that's what it's going to look like because I've left the two little mini tropical storms there together. And so I decided if I'm going to send her away on vacation, then I have to make breathing room in my own life so that I make sure I clean up that. Because at some point, our apartment probably did look like that. And I needed to leave space so I could fix it before she walked in. Because margin doesn't always lead to something as significant as a saved life like it does in the Good Samaritan story. But margin does lead to sustained and strengthened relationships and to healthier places. You see, in this guy's life, I think we can draw inspiration that less can lead to more. There was a, a recent financial report that showed that almost half of middle-class Americans um, would not have um, $400 in cash in their checking and savings. Almost half of middle-class Americans, which means that almost half of a majority of Americans are in a place of life that one bad tire could financially wreck them. I mean, maybe for some of you, that, that's not where you are, but for others, you're like, yep, that's me. And what less can lead to more looks like in your life coming out of this life is that you choose to live on less so that you might have more. What if it, your family made a choice to say, we're not going to go out to eat for the next two months so that our family is not like the other half of middle-class Americans, that we can get to $1,000, just $1,000 in savings in case there was an emergency? And I saw this in my, like, my own journey early into our marriage I'm one of those people that I don't even think about things like that. That's just not on my radar. But my wife really responds to security that comes through having the food to eat and the place to stay that typically comes through money. Right? And so for us to be healthy, we had to create a savings, like an emergency savings account. That's only purpose is to be there in case something does happen. And what we found is by doing that discipline, it creates margin. If you're always living under the pressure that you're just one 
minor emergency away from financial ruin, that's a pressure and a stress that's constantly eating away at you. And the power of margin is by creating less and adding less to our life, we can find that there's more. I mean, even as a church, we do this. I don't talk about church finances a lot from the stage, but this year, because we intentionally, because of your generosity and because of our intentionality and our belief that less leads to more, that we choose to, to, to not do certain things so that we can do more things in our community. That over the course of this year, we will give about $50,000 away, both to local, national, and international causes. That simultaneously, we are making a difference in the Syrian refugees crisis because that is tragic and that is gut-wrenching. That we're currently right now impacting and helping to provide aid for people who have been impacted by the Canadian wildfires. That two weeks ago, we helped to, to start and provided a portion of the money needed to build a playground in our own community. That we as a church operate with less is more because we believe by living on less, we can do more in our community. And that's a value for us. And it's one of those values that if, you're, if the more you're looking for in your life is financial, then it will come through you choosing to live on less. Not for the rest of your life, maybe it's just for a season, but by creating intentionality less now, you can have that more that you're looking for. Or it may be physically. I mean, this is a constant struggle of mine, is just to, to carve out space to eat well, to sleep well, and to exercise. Because that less in calorie, that less in my calendar, where I'm going and exercising, leads to more in my life. It adds potential health benefits down the road. It adds potential decades to my heart. It, it makes a difference in the immediate that I'm just a nicer person when I've exercised. I don't know about you, but when I'm taking care of myself, I, I'm just a little bit more pleasant to be around. I'm not fidgety. I'm not anxious. That somehow in the miraculous way God has wired us, me running, feeling like I'm about to die, somehow keeps me from dying sooner. We'll never understand it, but I know it's true, right? And that less for more can be emotionally, and just the rhythms of life and being aware of what we talked about a couple weeks ago where we said that we have an emotional inflow and we have an emotional outflow and that living with margin means that we're intentional about putting things into our life and choosing to remove things from our life that are draining us emotionally so that we have the emotional margin to deal with moments like I walk out and my daughter's weeping. Because guess what? If you don't have emotional margin, it's really hard to be empathetic isn't it? When you don't have that space in your own life, it's really easy to not care about other people and their plights. It's really easy to be so overwhelmed with your work schedule that you completely ignore what's going on in your kid's life or what's going on in your spouse's life. That when we choose to live with less, we find we get more. It can, I think, even be in time. I mean, this guy had enough time in his rhythm that he was able to be generous enough with his schedule to make sure this guy got the medical treatment he needed. And that most of us, we live with the constant limitation of time. Because you're probably like me, always trying to shove in more and more and more and more. 
into our schedules. And what ends up happening is we get less and less and less. We say yes to another thing at work, and by choosing to say yes to that thing at work, we say no's to other things in our life. Because underneath margin is this powerful realization that whenever I say yes to something, I'm choosing less of something else. And that I know if you're like me, you wish you could have it all. But the reality is that we can't. And if hopefully in the process of this series, you felt this tension growing of how do I manage life, rhythms, how do I manage family and work, how do I manage all of these like important things in my life, that will encourage you to come back next week because next week all that tension I've been building up inside of you, the tension that's been growing, I'm going to process through one of those fundamental lessons that transform my life because there is a choice we have to make. And next week, I want to give an entire Sunday to processing that because I believe it's important. But the reality is when we, when we say yes to something, we choose less of something else. And this man had chosen yes to living under his means, to not scheduling his calendar to back-to-back-to-back-to-back appointments, to leaving breathing room. And that meant that he had the resources and the time to make a difference in someone else's life. And less can lead to more because if we're not aware, if we're not careful, what can happen is we miss out. I mean, most of the conversations that shaped my life were not scheduled. I don't know about you, but those moments that really define me as a human being, they were not scheduled appointments. Those moments where my mom sat me down and said certain things in response to some things that people had said to me, that wasn't scheduled. That was my mom having margin and noticing things about my life. Like, if you have kids, we know things are said to them on the internet and said to them on the playground, and said to them in the cafeteria, and that if we don't create space, what will happen is that it's just going to stay inside of them. And we'll never know. Some of us are still carrying the weight of secrets, of things that were said and done to us that we never had space in our life to unpack. And we carried it. Mean things, hateful things, ungodly, wrong things said and done to us. But because there was no breathing space in those lives around us that mattered, we couldn't step in to say, hey, what do I do with this? I want to make sure I'm intentional about leaving space in my life so that my wife, my friends, the people who I do life with, my daughter can say, can I can we talk? Or for me to notice, she's carrying a weight today that I've never seen before. And I want to lean in that and help carry it with her. Because if we're not careful about carving it out, we can make the same mistake that these two guys made. Who were okay with what was in front of them becoming an obituary. In fact, to be a little gracious to them, uh, in 1973, there was a published study uh, that was uh, the Princeton 
that Princeton did, but they used, it was this really interesting study. They, they went and took Princeton, Princeton Seminary students. Um, there was about 67 of them. They brought them in and said, we want, we want you to give a talk on the Good Samaritan. And um, what they didn't realize was that they were actually being set up. This was a social experiment. Um, and the groups were broken, broken down into kind of various um, groups. And the first group was told, you need to hurry. Oh, my goodness, the talk was supposed to start a few minutes ago. You need to go right now. And the way that they were instructed to leave to head to the next building was this alleyway they had to go out and through to get around to the next building. And so when they opened the door, what they found was an individual laying there that the moment the door opened, they were instructed to groan and cough like they were having a medical emergency. The other group was told, you've got a few minutes. Talk doesn't start for a little while longer, but head on over there so that you get there early. And what they found was in the midst of those two groups, what came out of the study is that the people who were in a hurry, only 10% of them stopped for that individual who was faking a medical emergency. Literally, some of them stepped over his body to get there quicker because he was in the way. Of the ones who weren't in a hurry, over 60% of them stopped to do something about this medical emergency in front of them. Because even to not read into all the things about this individual and those two, the priest and the Levite, here's the thing that just from this study I know, that hurry is a hindrance to love every single time. That it's really hard to love well, it's really hard to have margin when we're constantly in a hurry. And that for many of the significant relationships in our life, that one of the things that may be in the way between you seeing the more you're looking for is just the fact that you're constantly in a hurry and you don't have the space to create breathing room. Because in the end, this whole story, Jesus told, was prompted out of a question about love. Because it's really hard to love well if we're in a hurry. It's really hard to love if there's no margin. But when we are willing to intentionally create breathing room, we create space for others to catch their breath too. And that if you and I are willing, that we can find that the more we're looking for is probably tucked inside of the less that we need to remove in our life. That in the end, the person beside you, the kid that you're going to pick up, the employees and the people and the friendships in your life, they're the reason margin matters.